Well, if you have a Bible, if you'd open it to Deuteronomy 34, that's where we'll be this morning. Deuteronomy 34, um, verses 7 through 12 is where we're going to read. We're going to do a little bit of a a backwards thing this morning. So we're going to start at the beginning, go backwards, and work back to the end. Are you with me? So that's what we're going to do today. Um, I have the unique privilege to preach through half of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, in Deuteronomy today. So uh, <clears throat> let's go. All right. So um, before we read the, the text together, uh, one, one of the principles of life, so this is true uh, for all of us. We know it's true. And so choices lead to actions, actions lead to consequences. Say amen if you agree with that. Choices lead to actions, actions lead to consequences. Everybody with me on this? Okay. So we, we all know this is true. So to give you a little um, illustration of my own life. And so uh, I, I give you insights into my own buffoonery, right? And so, so years ago, I, was, I had taken a, a, a mission trip. I, I, at this time, I was taking a lot of different trips of people, groups of people to Guatemala. And there's a volcano in Guatemala called Pacaya. There's multiple vo- volcanoes in Guatemala. And they let you do things at volcanoes in Guatemala that they would never let you do in the United States. Never. Like I, I, I like threw half of my sandwich and just watched it catch into flames on a flowing river of lava, right? I've, incredible things, right? Like this, very dangerous. And so there's this one thing, when you get up to the top of Pacaya, there's this loose rock. And this loose rock, you can, you can run down it and you just slide your feet. And it's a significant distance down and you can slide your feet. Everybody's doing it and it's fun and everybody on the team begins to do it. But I look over to the side and I see this portion that no one else is sliding down. And I think to myself this looks like more fun over here. It's a little bit steeper. It, it's a little bit more, and I'm, I'm a bit of a pioneer, if you didn't know that, like it's just kind of in me. So I think I'm going to go down this section no one else has gone down. So I begin to put my feet down, I'm sliding down, and within seconds I realize there's a reason no one else went down this portion of the volcano, Right? And so I begin to slide my feet and then I begin to lose my balance and I begin to fall forward. And by the time it's done, I had 18 puncture wounds on my body. And uh, you could literally see them through my skin. No stitches, just minor puncture wounds. And so so at this moment, right, I, I was standing at the top of the volcano and I had this moment of choice. Would I do what everyone else was doing, do something different that led to an action of doing right, of doing something that was not very wise, I understand, no one has to tell me that anymore, thank you mothers, and so I don't have to know that, I'm, I'm, I might be getting older, but I'm not going to die, like I was a moment, like I'm still alive, I still have a little bit of like adventure in my soul, right, but it led to a consequence of somewhat serious pain on my body um, that lasted possibly weeks, and so so in this, I made these choices. Like choices lead to actions, actions lead to consequences. Now, that might be funny, but <clears throat> the ultimate choice of our life, the ultimate choice of our life and the choice we make about God, who he is, what he has done on our behalf, will cause us to act in certain ways, positive or negative. Who we believe God is what we believe he has done will cause us to act in certain ways interpersonally. It will cause us to act in certain ways financially. 
It will cause us to act in certain ways with our talents, with our time, with our gifts. What we believe about God causes us to make choices that will then lead to actions that will then lead to consequences, to the good or to the bad. So, so you maybe this morning have made a choice, as the Israelites did, to not trust God. And it led to actions of disobedience in your life, which led to consequences of being trapped in a season of wandering. Or maybe you've been living in a year, two-year, 40-year season of wandering. Some people will live in it their entire life See, with the Israelites, and we're going to see this in a minute, they had no option. They disobeyed God. They were not going to see the promised land. And Jesus makes these phrases when he speaks. He says, not so with you. And I would say that to us in this room. Our seasons of wandering don't have to be seasons of wandering. Because, see, the tabernacle, which we'll see established in this, where the presence of God dwelled, it isn't like this anymore. There's a new covenant, right? The new covenant has been established. And the new covenant says that the very presence of God can indwell within you through the power of his Holy Spirit. That you don't have to run away from him, but you can run with him in life. So where we find ourselves to kind of set up where we're going to read is we're going to be reading Deuteronomy 34, 7 through 12. And so we're looking at the whole story of scripture. So we're doing a, if you, if you haven't been with us, we're doing a, 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 about a 13-week overview of the, the larger story. And what we hope to accomplish as you hear this story is that it helps you put the pieces together. And so the Old Testament is 39 books. And in those 39 books, the first 17 books are really the chronological history of the Old Testament. Then all the other books kind of get pieced inside of those books. So first 17 books, this is a big picture story. So this is what we're kind of going to crank through and we're going to piece together all these other books. So where we find ourselves, if you broke into error, we've been through the creation era. We've been through the era of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we, last time, three weeks ago, we looked at Moses. And Moses, he's He's called by God out of the wilderness and he goes and he, there's 10 plagues and he frees the people of Israel and that God frees the people of Israel and now right where we ended, they were about to cross the Red Sea. So let's, if you will, stand with me this morning, reverence and honor of reading God's word. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 34, 7 through 12. This is the end of Moses' life. This is what's said about Moses. Moses was 120 years old when he died. It's pretty old. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him. And did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land. 
for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Father, would you give us insight into this greater story that you have done and this continuing story of what you are doing. Help us to see your mighty works today as we look at the wanderings of your people in the wilderness and their disobedience. Help us to see insight into our own lives that we might be faithful, that we might be true to you. Lord, speak to us. Lord, use me in any way you see fit today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so a little, little bit of history. So Moses, he's 120 years old. He spent 40 years in the household of Pharaoh. He spent 40 years in the desert. And then he spends 40 years in wanderings with the people of Israel. So 120 years altogether, Moses has some very clear boundaries, 40, 40, 40 for Moses. And, and in this, so where the people of Israel are going to come from, if we're kind of just doing a little history, they're, they're going to be in Canaan. There's going to be a famine come in the land. They're going to go to Egypt. They're going to be enslaved in Egypt. Then where we find ourselves is they're going to cross the Red Sea. And in the Red Sea, they're going to wander. God's going to lead them to Mount Sinai. Then from Mount Sinai, and the law of God's going to come at Mount Sinai. And then he's going to take them to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And at Kadesh Barnea, they're going to camp out there. And they're really going to spend about 38 years there. And so wanderings are kind of a little bit, not as much wanderings or as much as about encampment. And so they're just like, it's like my wife's worst idea of vacation ever, right? 40 years of camping. Anyway, <laughs> and so it sounds amazing to me. And so, so, th- so that they're going to be, they're, they're going to be at Kadesh Barnea, and then they're at the end of, uh, at the end of the Pentateuch, at the end of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, at the end, they're going to be, be, be preparing to go into the promised land. And so really today, from Exodus 15 to Deuteronomy 34 is about 40 years. And in this 40-year time span, God is going to do really some significant things, but you really could boil that down to what we know about is about two years. And so we know about two years of the 40 years of the wilderness. And so this morning, very quickly, we're going to do two years. So Deuteron- so, so what we see, so if you're following with me on your guides, and I, I put a lot of blanks on the back of your bulletin today because I thought you might fall asleep. And so keep you awake, all right? So fill out with me as we go. Exodus. Exodus is the journey to Mount Sinai where God entered into a new covenant with his people. And so Exodus is the journey to Mount Sinai where God entered into a new covenant with his people. So Exodus 15 and on, they're going to cross the Red Sea. God's going to do this miraculous act. The the armies are going to be behind them of Pharaoh, and they're they're going to be pressed on them. They're going to feel hopeless, and then God's going to open up the sea. They're going to walk through the sea, but not only walk through it, they're going to walk through it on dry ground. So there's a miracle within the miracle, and they're going to walk through on dry ground. They're going to get to the other side. The armies are going to be crushed. And so, I mean, just think for this moment that God showed Pharaoh, just so you know, Pharaoh, there is not a God you have that is stronger. I will wipe out your armies. I will wipe out livestock. I am in control of life. I am in control of the sun, moon, and stars. There is nothing, Pharaoh, that compares to the God of gods, the Lord of lords, me. And so he makes this strong declaration. And so then in Exodus, we come in 15 through the end of the book, they're going to be led. So he led them by cloud by day, fire by night. He gave them food 
He gave them clothing that would not wear out. Hallelujah, right? Clothing that would not wear out. Didn't have to worry about their outfits. They stayed good all the time. And let, um, so their 11-day journey, now get this, they, they had an 11-day journey to the promised land. And their disobedience became 40 years. 11-day trip turned into 40 years because of disobedience, because of their grumbling, because of their rebellion, because of their faithlessness. Exodus 19, five and six says it like this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so this is a, a moment in time that will forever be remembered where God makes a special covenant with the people of Israel. And in this special covenant, what he says is, you are going to become a kingdom of priests. You are going to be my beloved. You are going to be my treasured ones. So then in Exodus, it continues. In Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments come. So God, Moses goes up onto the mountain. He gives him Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments could be broken up like this. The first five are about us and God. The second five are about us and each other. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love your neighbor? neighbor? Second five. How do you love God? First five. And these commandments, it's consistency of Scripture. So he gives the 20, the, the Exodus 20, he gives the Ten Commandments. He reveals himself to Moses in the book of Exodus where he says, Moses is his moment. It's one of my favorite moments in Exodus where Moses says, God, I want to know you. Show me your glory. Show me who you are. Show me your, your, your mighty hand. Show me what you have done. And he goes, Moses, you can't even handle me. And he goes, so go hide in the cleft of this rock. And so Moses goes and he hides in the cleft of a rock and God's glory passes by him and God speaks of who he is in Exodus 34. He speaks of who he is and he says, I am, I am patient and I am kind and I am merciful. And he speaks of this God that is common in our day. This God of love and care and compassion. But then God flips it, and it's actually in the Hebrew, it's this kind of scales of justice, the equality of God. I'm a God of wrath. I'm a God of justice. And what God does in this moment is he reveals who he is to Moses. Moses, when we even read his eulogy, there is no man outside of Jesus Christ that has ever lived that has spent and been with and seen what Moses saw. Moses, even around supper tables, around Passover feast, he's been spoken of more than any other biblical character over and over and over in time in history. So God's going to reveal himself to Moses and kind of the end of, the end of Exodus ends like this, that he's instructed to put together a tabernacle and Micah actually spoke about it already. He says, God, we don't want to go without you. Don't, don't, don't let your presence depart from us. And so what God, God does is he comes and he tabernacles amongst them. He comes and his presence fills. And so in his presence, and like this is the brief of it, there's a holy of holies and there's a veil you go through into the holy of holies and there's the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments inside this. And the very presence of God comes down amongst his people. And Exodus ends with this kind of large crescendo of how Hallelujah, God has come. His presence isn't distant from us, it is with us. And then we move to Leviticus. Leviticus is how God's people should approach and obey him. Now, Leviticus is kind of the book, if you can't sleep well, 
just crack open Leviticus and you're going to start reading the laws and you're going to read it and it, it, it can get a little, and except don't get into like, like 10 or like 11, 12, 13. That's just kind of, it's just kind of gross. And so like there's these parts of Leviticus and he speaks to all kinds of, of, of law and, and how you act in the wilderness and how you're going to treat one another and how it's going to go. So his laws revealed offerings he gives offerings, one, chapters 1 through 7, the priesthood, the Levites of who will enter into the Holy of Holies, how this will all work, 8, 9, and 10. And then in the middle, the middle of Leviticus, Leviticus 16, there's this incredible picture. And the incredible picture in the middle of Leviticus is called the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is this time where the high priest only can enter the Holy of Holies, and there's going to be... There's going to be multiple sacrifices, but two sacrifices that will be made. One, it'll be two goats. And there'll be one goat that'll come in. There'll be two goats. They'll cast lots, and the goats are pleading, let it be me, let it be me, right? This moment of which one's going to be sacrificed and which one's going to be let go. And the priest will grab onto the goat, and he will confess the sins of the people upon the goat. And the one goat will, then he'll release it, and it will run off into the wilderness. It's called the scapegoat. And the scapegoat will run off into the wilderness and it'll be a picture of the, your sins are forgiven, they're gone. And the other goat, he will grab on to that goat and he will confess the sins of the people. And then he will cut that goat in half. And he will take the blood and he will sprinkle it upon the Holy of Holies because blood must be shed for the covering of sin. Just like us, there's a sacrifice that must be made. And these are the beginnings of the picture of atonement, of a final sacrifice for us, Jesus. And he was the final sacrifice, that he is the one in which our sins were cast as far away as the east is to the west, as far as could be. And it is through his blood poured out and shed for us that we have forgiveness of sin. So, so the priesthood and the, the clean and unclean, or, so, so we, we kind of see the offerings, priesthood, clean and unclean, the day of atonement. Leviticus is also, and also uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy 28, there's going to be this prophetic call to the people within the Pentateuch. And so again, Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This prophetic call is going to say this to the people of God. And so Leviticus 26, 1 and 2, says it like this. You shall not make idols for yourself or erect an image or pillar. And you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths, Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And then 3 through 13 of Leviticus 26, there's going to be this statement that God's going to make. And he's going to say, if you, if you bless me, I will bless you. If you're for me, I will be for you. And then it transitions in verse 14 through 39. He says, but those who curse me, I will curse. Those come, who come against me, I will be against. And then he gives way, and this is the prophetic, that you are going to do this. You are going to curse me, and I'm going to give you a way in which you can return to me. Through repentance, through faith, through atonement, you can return. But the big, the big idea of Leviticus is this, and he's going to do it over and over and over. He's going to write a little bit and say it again. Write a little bit and say it again. Write a little bit and say it again. He's going to say this. Peter, Peter quotes it. Be holy because I am holy. I am God that is far above you. 
I'm a God who is far beyond you. Pursue holiness with your life because I am holy and you stand before me. Even if you don't recognize it, you are constantly standing in my presence. So the numbers, numbers is a, the journey to Kadesh Barnea. So they've been kind of Mount Sinai, all these blessings are coming, all, all these, um, the law, the laws reveal, also now they're gonna, numbers are gonna journey to Kadesh Barnea. And, but due to their unbelief in God and fear, they were kept out of the promised land for 40 years. And so in numbers, we see why they were kept out of the promised land. So beginning of the book, they're being, beginning to be organized to go in the promised land and then they're going to send out 12 spies. 12 spies are going to go into the promised land. They're going to spend 40 days and they're going to check things out. And they're going to look around. They're going to see what's going on. And what happens as they go into the promised land is these guys are pretty big. But there's some pretty fantastic things in the promised land. They said that there was a cluster of grapes. One cluster, it took two men to carry. I mean, this is like, this is like grapefruit grapes, right? I mean, this is incredible, like the thought of what they saw in the promised land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was, it was unreal. All of God's promises were being fulfilled. He said that you're going to go to this wonderful land. But they come back. And in coming back, the 12 spies, 10 are fearful and two believe not in our strength, but with our God, we can overcome. Joshua and Caleb were the ones who believed. Leviticus 26, wrong, wrong text, sorry, Numbers 13, 30 through 31 read, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. And in this moment, God says, none of you, none of you who, have, who are full of unbelief can see the promised land. You will all die and your children will enter the land and Joshua and Caleb, no one else. So in this, then we see also Moses in Numbers, his disobedience. In Numbers 20, Moses has this moment, and this is why Moses isn't allowed in the promised land. Moses has this moment with God where the people are grumbling again. And Moses gets a little frustrated with the people. And he's going to say, oh, you rebellious people. Like this kind of moment of disdain. And in this moment, they, they're, they're, they're upset. They said, where's, where's the water? We need water. We need water. And God is the one who has provided and who's provided and who's provided Yet they believe that they're destitute again, that they're without hope. And in this moment, God says to Moses and Aaron, go to the people, hold up your staff, and I will make water come out of the rock. And so what Moses did is he went out and he says, he says a statement in the text. He says, we, Moses, Aaron and I, right, we are going to give you water. And he strikes the rock twice, which God told him not to strike. And in his disobedience, God says, Moses, you will not enter into the promised land. Just so you know, disobedience is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. And it's a really big deal to God. And when we blatantly, in these moments, because isn't this peculiar? I mean, how many seconds, minutes happened in this scenario? Probably not that many. 
Just like many of us, we think that disobedience, and it does sometimes happen over a long period of time, but not typically, choices lead to actions, actions lead to consequences. And in a moment for Moses, the one who did so many mighty acts, in a moment he made a choice that would, allow, that would cause him to not be able to see that which he was longing to see in his lifetime on earth. Now, Moses, still an incredible man, even when you read his eulogy as we read it just a moment ago, there's nothing negative said about Moses. Moses was a godly man, which no one has ever seen that which Moses saw. But in that, his life was withheld from wonder and amazement that God had planned for him But through his disobedience, he was unable to see it. So what happens then in Numbers is they wander for 40 years. And all but two, right, Joshua and Caleb, in the next gen, will see the promised land. So Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is is Moses' final address to the people to remain faithful. So Deuteronomy is Moses' final address to the people to remain faithful. And so in this final address, Moses is going to remind them of all the things that they had heard, all the things that God had done. This is their kind of preparation. They're going to go into the promised land at the, at the end of his life. And so he's going to remind them of their journey and the faithfulness and the priority of God. They're going to say things like this, um, the Lord our God is one, Deuteronomy 6. These kind of, the, the Shema, these, these kind of benchmark things in which the people of Israel and the people of God, for, for years and years, they will hold to, to love the Lord with all that we have, to remind each other of who he is, of what he has done, to put it all around us and put reminders around our lives of the wonder and the splendor of God. Deuteronomy 28 and then it's, 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 it mirrors Leviticus 26. There's, again, a prophetic call from Moses of the rebellion of the people of Israel, which this will be important because we're going to be there in a few weeks. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 34, Moses dies. And we're going to read this again, Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12. And there has not risen a prophet since, is, since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, face none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of the Lord. Moses was a prophet in many ways of prophets. He is a prophet who... Through, through him, the law of God was revealed and which now reveals our sinfulness and our rebellious hearts to God. Through Moses, we will see how God works and interacts with his people. But I believe in this kind of story of their wanderings, this historical event over these 40 years, there's some lessons we can learn that apply to our lives. First lesson that we learn is that God acts in power. That God acts in power, and let's add maybe something to the end of that. God acts in power to deliver his people. He is powerful, and this is an axiom that the people of God live their lives by, that I do not serve a God who is impotent. I do not serve a God that can't act, but I serve a God who 
is powerful. If you believe that, just say something this morning. God acts in power to deliver his people. He is powerful. And the issue of God's power in my life is an issue of my surrender and it's an issue of my pride. If I believe that I am more powerful than God, one, I'm a fool. And two, if I, if I, if I believe that in some way that he is, he is unable to act in my life, it's an issue of my own heart and my own realization of the fullness of who he is. It has nothing to do with him. God acts in power. It is who he is. He is powerful. Second is God creates boundaries. And I'd add maybe to the end of that. God creates boundaries for his people for their own good. God creates boundaries for his people for their own good. Right? There's, a, there's a way in which we were created and, and his law is for our good and for the recognition of our sin. This is the idea of the Ten Commandments. He's saying there's a way in which to go about life in which I've created you. I'm going to reveal this. I'm going to show it to you. And it's going to be for your own good. Now, I don't know about you, but I have tended in my life especially when I was younger, to not like boundaries very much. Anybody with me? Have you ever not liked boundaries very much in your life? All the type A people are like, what are you talking about? Boundaries are wonderful. We need more of them. Create more, more boundaries, more boundaries. But it, it, truly in all of us, there's something that we do. We, we push back against boundaries. And I know that as a parent. Like I create boundaries for my kids. Why? Because I love them. Because I, I don't want them to be harmed. I don't want them to step into places where they're going to be hurt, where they're going to experience pain, where they're going to experience sufferings. And our good God, our Father, so much more than I could ever even dream of being for my own children, has created these boundaries for us that are for our good and how we relate to him and how we relate to one another, and how we relate to our planet, to this life, to money, to everything. God puts parameters and boundaries and says, go about it this way, and it will go good with you. Rebel against me? I'm just telling you, it's not going to end well for you. Third thing we see is that God establishes standards. God establishes standards. And maybe add to that, God establishes standards for his people. And so for us, it's different than boundaries. There's standards. There's, there's a standard practice and way of conduct and, and way he wants us to go about life. And this standard of the, the standard that he has is a standard of holiness. That we cannot enter into his presence in any form or shape of unholiness. Praise God for Jesus, the one who makes us holy and allows us to enter into the presence of God. God establishes standards, a standard of faith, not faithlessness, of, of belief, saying, I believe that God can act. I believe he is real. I believe he's on high. I believe that he can act on my behalf. It's a, it's a standard of trust. And so where we struggle with this, I believe, in our world is we kind of live with the idea of standards in this, is this kind of phrase. Well, everybody struggles, and everybody fails, so we kind of just lower the bar perpetually as a society. And we say that there's really the standard. I mean, God's good, he's forgiving, so whatever. Who am I? Well, exactly, who are you? But who he is, is he has clearly set a standard for us. 
And he has set the bar very, very high. And that bar that is set high is for our good. There's something about the Pentateuch. There's something about the first five books of the Bible. This is what it's done for me. So I'll speak to you personally, what this, these five books have perpetually done in my life as I get into them. Remember when I was first in seminary, I was in Old Testament um, survey and we were in the first five books of the Bible. And I remember I went from laying down in bed with my wife and praying together, kind of like, you know, really cutely cuddling together. I don't know, I didn't know what to do with that just statement. So whatever, like just laying there. And, and I went from that to kneeling down beside my bed. Because what the five books of the Bible and the revelation of who God is, is, is revealing of himself through Moses what it did was it, it made me move to a place of reverence. And, and I just wanted to kneel by the bed because I just felt like, I just don't know if I can just lay around. Now, I love the New Testament because it gives me that freedom, but there's something about this section of scripture that provides in me this revering. And I believe that we have to live in this tension between these two things, this great freedom I have in Jesus and this great holiness of God. And if we ever lose either of these, we probably don't represent him well. But we live in both of these tensions of this holy God who has standards in which he's calling us to to meet with our lives. Because we can, because every day of our life, we make choices that lead to actions, that lead to consequences. The fourth is that we are rebellious by nature. I just asked you the question of, do you like standards put on your life? We all kind of go, ah, not really. Why? Because we we are rebellious by nature. And maybe to even add to the end of that, we are rebellious by nature, preferring to live by sight instead of faith. We are rebellious by nature and we prefer to live by sight rather than faith. And so we say things like to our brothers and sisters who they say, I'm going to, I feel like the Lord's calling me to go do this. And what happens? The church is the worst for it. We say, you're crazy. Don't do it. How are you going to raise the support? You have four kids. How can you move to a distant land? How can you give up this good job and go after this? You're insane. Why would you let a baby of someone else come live in your house? You're going to love it so much. It's going to break your heart. Don't, don't, don't run into that. Don't do it. And you say, Ryan, people don't really say that. No, because they've said it to me, right? We prefer to live by sight rather than by faith because we are rebellious by nature. And as much as we want to read through the Old Testament, especially these first five books, we say, man, those Israelites were idiots. What were they thinking? We are just like them. We see the circumstances. We see that it's overwhelming. God has worked in so many ways in our past, but instead we choose to forget what he has done. We let the moment overwhelm us and we live faithless. Remembering that we are rebellious by nature pushes us to a place of living thoughtful, not letting our minds run rampant because when you are not thoughtful about God, when we are not thoughtful about God, when he isn't at the center point of our lives, we will live allowing the moment circumstances to overwhelm us because we by nature live by sight rather than by faith. Fifth, 
is God is merciful. God is merciful. Even in this, we see his holiness, right? We see his holiness. So maybe to add to it, God is merciful, but is holy and must be treated as holy. So in this, what we see is this, this, this kind of principle of the merciful nature of God. It does not create in us disregard for God, but it creates in us a greater regard for him because his mercy is so strong and so powerful. Did he fulfill his promise that the people of Israel would enter the promised land? Well, you'll have to come next week to find out, right? But there were a group of people that would pay the consequences for their sin and their disobedience. And last, what we see, and we see this because we have the whole story, is Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus is the better Moses. Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12 it says, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. Oh, but since this was written, there has. Hebrews says, the prophets of prophets has come. There's no more prophets that will come. Jesus is the last prophet. He is the prophet of prophets. Whom the Lord knew face to face, Jesus was God. None like him for all the signs and wonders, all the signs and wonders Jesus did of resurrecting the dead, of healing the blind, of giving sight. Jesus over and over, miracle after miracle, saying, I am God, I am powerful, and I can move might, and I'm going to restore the new covenant. Moses brought a new covenant. Jesus brought the new covenant. Lord, send him to the land, all the miracles, all signs, to Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, to all his land, for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. You know, it's peculiar to think about this. Yesterday at Men's Frat, I talked about this with the guys. <clears throat> that Last Supper, when Jesus stood around that table, do you know how astonished they were at the things he was saying? I mean, what he was saying was, hey, this thing Moses did way back in which you've sat around this Passover meal and you've talked about Moses for years and years and years, I'm the fulfillment. I'm the last cup. Don't think about Moses anymore. Think about me. My body broken, my blood poured out. At this moment, it would be like me taking, saying, hey, next year Christmas is gonna be the Ryan Johnston holiday. All the presents come to me. It's all about me. I mean, it's, it was that radical of a statement when he sat in that upper room. He was saying that this, this thing that you've made about Moses for years and centuries passed down from generation to generation, I'm the better Moses. I am the fulfillment. I am the new covenant through my body broken, through my blood poured out. Fulfillment has come. So with this this morning, I wonder what it is that God is speaking into your life. Choices lead to actions. Actions lead to consequences. So this morning, maybe you've been in a season of wandering, season of disobedience, pain, season of pain, season of hardship. Maybe God has a calling upon your life in which you've said no to him on. Maybe there's issues in your character that are unholy and perpetual and habitual. And you've resolved to saying, that is just who I am. 
And in that, you live in disobedience to God over and over because you do not allow him to shape or form your character. Maybe for you, you have been faithless. Maybe the odds against your life and the circumstance of your life have overwhelmed you and you have decided to live by sight rather than by faith and believing that God is big enough to overcome your circumstances. If we hear anything today, might we, might we walk away from here revering God, seeing him as holy, and choosing to honor him with our life. And I believe when we choose to honor him with our life, to step into these difficult places, it will lead to holy actions that will lead to holy consequences in our world. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us to respond in any way, shape, or form that you'd have for us today? Father, we believe that you are holy, that you are set apart, that you are different, that you are unique. You are God, we are man. Lord, we believe that you have acted in these ways in time and history. We believe that you are powerful. We believe that you've established boundaries. We believe that you have standards. We believe that you are merciful. Lord, we believe and we know that we are rebellious, that we choose to live by sight rather than by faith. Lord, for the hurting, I pray you'd give hope today. For the wanderer, I pray that you would give them faith today. For us all, Lord, help us to respond to that which you've said. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.